Hideo Kojima has been a standard bearer for the very best that the gaming medium has to offer. That guy, like, he's, he's such a genius, and uh, I'm just doing whatever he says, you know, and he's like, we're gonna make people cry. And I'm like, for a video game? And he's like, yep. What the coach Kojima is, the, the master, you know, he's uh, the, um, what's his name, Kasparov of, of, uh, of video games. Such a visionary person, and uh, it was just something I've never crossed before, and uh, so it was a, a wonderful opportunity to, to dive into that world. He has been in the forefront of it all seemingly from its infancy, and has inspired many into creating a mature art form. I was like, all right. And then he goes, he goes, and I go, playing me? And he goes, no, they'll be you. The most salient aspects of Kojima-san are his absolute passion for perfection and his narrative ambition and scope. He is to gaming in many ways uh, what Cameron or Spielberg are to filmmaking. We often talk about great games on our stage, but for a minute, I want to talk about a great man behind those games. But there is in Kojima also a sense of loss and tragedy. Last year, Hideo Kojima's world was turned upside down when he left Konami after the completion of Metal Gear Solid V. We all have tough times to go through, but the true test of one's character comes in how we react to those moments we don't control. When judgments are made or when decisions are rendered upon us by others that we sometimes can't comprehend. A code of conduct that could be at home in a Jean-Pierre Melville film or a World War II adventure or a tragic samurai story. There is nothing in his stories that he does not love and feel strongly about. Like a toy maker, a jeweler that crafts with great precision and demand to himself. Uh, you can see strands of action, strands of manga, anime, tokusatsu, epics and existential philosophy. He believes, as I do, and as do you, that we must cherish this medium not only for the entertainment possibilities, but for its artistic ones. We share the same love for obscure 1960s anime, <laughs> model kits, mecha, toys, trivial culture that fed our lonely childhood, and things that inspire us. And we both believe that these things, these strands of pop culture, are actually keys to the mythology of our century. Kojima-san is a friend and an inspiration to me. He proves that an altruistic voice and vision can sing loud and clear above the din of sameness, and that an individual with conviction and faith can manage anything through hard work. I think what happened to Hideo Kojima last year was a tragedy, but he never complained. He just sat in an isolated room for months, locked, looked inside himself, and focused on his art. For all these reasons, and much more, it is my great honor and privilege to hand this legendary man the DICE Awards Hall of Fame Award. Hello, hello everyone, I'm back. He is one of the most principled, loyal, and ethical men I have ever met. And I'm just so honored to call you a friend above everything else, Adele. He keeps, he keeps explaining more and more in depth. It's, I don't know how that how that guy's mind, but you know, I met him through Guillermo del Toro, who has that same sort of sure. brilliant mind, of course. It's a very interesting universe. It's it's not obviously it's not story driven in the sense that we go from A to Z like we do in a film. Uh, we can make up a background, uh, but we don't necessarily have to because it is out of time, out of space. It is in the moment. So I think the opportunity of 
of doing things we've never done before, as you say, that is um, not necessarily linked to a psychological uh, base, but it's linked to the moment. Could be very interesting, which we, we normally don't do when we do characters. And today, Hideo is rebuilding his life and his studio with our support. Hideo knows that a strong man doesn't need to read his future, he makes his own. You've always been there for me, and you have never disappointed me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our industry icon, Mr. Hideo Kojima. See, I thought I lost everything, but I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't lose anything. Uh, thanks to all, all of you. I thank you all for your support. I love you, Jeff, and Game Awards. Uh, I love games, I love this world. I really love you all from my heart. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode one of the Death Stranding podcast. It is Saturday the 14th of October, and there are 17 days until Paris Games Week, 55 days until the Game Awards, and 57 days to PlayStation Experience. I am your regular host, Albert, and today I am joined by my co-hosts. Please introduce yourselves. Oh, hi, uh, my name is Steve. I'm a Hideo uh, Kojima fan, like many of you, and uh, I'm also a Death Stranding fan. I'm very happy to be here. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, my name's Eddie. Been a long time Kojima fan, you could say I grew up with them. In a lot of ways, I think we all have. Also a Death Stranding fan, and I'm really happy to be here as well. Fantastic, and also thanks to both of you for bearing with me with some of the audio issues we've been having. Definitely don't take it for granted, especially since I'll give the uh, audience a bit of a background. This podcast came together in record time. <laughs> we, I, I think I, you can even trace it to the date of when I posted on the uh, Death Stranding subreddit, which you can find at reddit.com slash r slash Death Stranding. Um, it would have had to have been no more than a week ago that I just forwarded the idea. Um, I had a really great response uh, from many people, including uh, Steve and Eddie here that I have today. And um, needless to say, it seems as though this was meant to kind of come together the way it has. Um, we've kind of kickstarted um, some uh, social media outlets. We have the Instagram up and running, which is news to you guys. I haven't told you guys that yet, which is really good. Um, we've put out our first tweet from uh, twitter.com forward slash deathstrandpod. And again, with the theme of things happening in record time, we have had our first like. And our very first post like was from Low Roar. So that's pretty oh, that's damn awesome. pretty damn yeah, isn't it amazing? amazing i saw that earlier it's amazing <laughs> so what a really great way to um to kind of kick things off but anyway i'll continue with the regular rundown so uh this is a weekly podcast dedicated to death stranding obviously the currently in production upcoming title by hideo kojima and kojima productions as well as news and discussion of the game itself we also cover mr kojima's many and varied influences everything from literature to film poetry television and more our mission is to showcase and celebrate just how culturally, intellectually, artistically, and philosophically enriching and eclectic Mr. Kojima's work truly is, leading up to and following the game's eventual release. With that regular rundown out of the way, let's get the show started. Fantastic. So, obviously we've caught up a little bit. This is, um, we did a test phone call, uh, Skype call rather, uh, not long ago, a couple of hours ago, just to kind of basically introduce ourselves, but I still a little bit in the dark about um, each person's sort of first experience of uh, Kojima 
and um, I think we could definitely start there. So um, we'll start with uh, Steve. Go right ahead. Well, my first uh, experience with Kojima, I played uh, the first Metal Gear Solid uh, when I was, I think, about 10. Uh, and uh, it was like the greatest thing I've played ever. I was very happy when I played that game. Uh, I like that game a lot because of the character, because of the story, because of the craziness, uh, because of the action, everything's great. And uh, uh, I've played every game Hideo Kojima has made. Uh, since and uh, a lot of his characters, a lot of his themes, a lot of his uh, the way he tells stories. So yeah, that that's pretty much uh, my first experience. That was around the year two thousand, I think. So yeah. Yeah, same, pretty much the same for me. And what about yourself, Edward? So very similar, um, but with me it was more of a jumping to and from Kojima's work. So uh, I remember being introduced to back when the Blockbuster was still around, <laughs> I had rented the first copy of Metal Gear Solid on the PS1 alongside the VR Missions game. And I remember, yeah, I remember playing the first the couple of hours, but because I shared my console with my older brother, I got it to the point where you face Sniper Wolf on the tower when she shoots Meryl. And up to that stage, um, we had to return the game. Oh no! <laughs> uh, so after that, and the thing is, I got to that point and I was scared. I didn't know what to do, and I was stuck for you know a couple hours, and I couldn't remember what the, na the name of the game was because I was relatively young, and because my brother had rented it, I didn't know what was really going on. And you didn't so have you fast forward, you know? No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, fast forward to another two years later, I don't remember how many years later. By the time MGS2 came out. That's when I realized I recognize this character. What is going on? And that's when I jumped on the bandwagon and really just started to consume everything Kojima from then on. Incredible. I really love that. And I love, yeah, your story as well, Steve, you know, because, um, uh, and as you were saying, it's around about the same time that I think all of us, for me, obviously, my first experience with uh, was uh, Metal Gear Solid as well, uh, 1999, 2000, yes. whatever. But you're absolutely right. Back then, you couldn't just type into kind of auto-prediction, auto-fill-tastic, like, what is that game with the guy with the bandana, with the weird thing, with the lady, with the, you know, you can't, uh, all, all that we take uh, take for granted nowadays, but uh, I love that it kind of came back into your life that way, and, and again, in the way that the universe sort of works sometimes. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, yeah, yeah the other thing is that um, I grew up watching, like, action movies, like, Hollywood action movies, Yeah, and it was, like, the first game that felt like that, like, a cool action movie, like, that can be dark and has like political undertones and stuff like that. It was it was the opposite of like Mario and the Nintendo games. Yeah. And uh, the first games I played was uh, were Nintendo games, so it was so different and it was so I don't know refreshing and awesome. So yeah, yeah. and and yet it did. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, go right ahead. Oh no, I was just going to agree that it's such a different change of pace because I grew up playing the Sonic games and Street Fighter and all of that and playing Metal Gear. It kind of just changed my perspective on everything because there's so many undertones and so many different uh, you know, things that just collide. And fourth wall breaking was I, the thing I remember the most. It's one of the first things that really latched me onto the series, uh, especially the because like how you said earlier, you couldn't just Google things back then. Uh, I remember being stuck at the part where you need the codec number on the back of the game case, and I couldn't. I remember not having the game case, and you're like, what am I supposed to look at? I looked at the items in the games, like, what? It, I can't find this code I'm supposed to call. Yeah. 
So then years later is when I ended up climbing up. That's right. And, and obviously, the, when you bring up that, I can't help but think of, you know, Ego Raptor's uh, Metal Gear Awesome series when he's like, the back of the CD case, you know? like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Really great. A lot of people, you know, he's on, gone on to that to do, uh, you know, Game Grumps and everything. But that was my first exposure to Ego Raptor was the Metal Gear Awesome. And um, you need to like the things you love. You need to be able to kind of pay them out. And I think again within that whole meta fourth wall breaking way, Kojima is really open to people either parodying or like uh, including like references to his own self parodies and stuff. Like um, he's very much aware that. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I totally agree. It's very campy in the way he does it, and he, and he definitely does that in all the games. Yeah, that's it. And, and it's, it's, it's a it's a because uh, you got a game with this soundtrack that is really dark. It's got like these really deep choruses and everything. It's got it's taking itself itself seriously, but also like uh, it's got that campiness, like you said, the the, the party. It's uh, I think it's a perfect balance. That game has like a perfect balance of like comedy and and uh, serious uh, action game. Yeah, and, yeah, no, go ahead. No, I wasn't saying No, I, I was going to say, like, uh, the way that I think that res the reason why it resonates with me, it, as well as just appreciating a work of art that can cover that, that wide of a spectrum of subject matter and that wide of a spectrum of moods and tones and themes. And not only that, but what I really like connect with and why I think that the material is worthy not only of a show, but of everything that's happened around it, like the kind of community and the you know, theorizing community, like young year and everything. Uh, the reason why I think it, like the core reason I think why it rewards that is because it's very much like life. Like uh, on one of our sort of pre-phone calls we made, we kind of touched on the fact that like Hideo really likes to tie things back into his own life, and he really enjoys um, just the, the widest possible spectrum of what life can offer. In terms of you know, he's he's the same guy who will like something from David Lynch to La La Land, you know, um, yeah. and and everything in between. And I think that really lent that actually, oh, yeah. yeah. And that I think the the kind of meta commentary there is that even though this thing is happening in a simulation of life uh he really like honors the full extent of it he might not be able to full, like unless we get there one day in terms of technology to be able to fully put a complete like matrix like world into a game but he's doing mm -hmm. the next best thing which is he is inserting such a wide variety of uh of moods and tones like everything from like weird and quirky to funny to serious to tragic um that he's really honoring everything uh that life can bring and he has also at the core as well as kind of this um uh, sort of a variety of, of subject matters and tones he's a very like I would call him like a life affirming uh, artist like everything and like he celebrates tragedy he celebrates pain he celebrates all of that in like it's it really kind of took me aback that I hadn't yet come across I mean there are some obviously some podcasts dedicated to Metal Gear but I hadn't yet found one that was uh, fully committed to not just a stranding but um, what Death Stranding represents, which is his reinsertion of himself into his influences and into his deepest kind of, uh, um, you know, his deepest kind of um, likings and everything that, you know, that kind of creates uh, Death Stranding and that sort of describes him and defines him as a person. So, yeah, I'm yeah really, definitely. I totally agree on every level. And I'm really glad that you said that just because um, for everything that Kojima has done up to date, he's definitely inserted some sort of himself and like you said he celebrates every part of essentially being human yes and with that with that emphasis uh, we've only seen for the lack of a better way of saying this snippets 
in each game that he's created. And we've only been able to see so much of his life and so much that he puts into these characters. And now that he essentially has free range to do that with Death Stranding, I'm really excited to see how he's going to pull that off and how much he's actually going to incorporate because he has the time and the resources to do that now. That's kind of absolutely right. Yeah, and, and what do you think? the freedom. Yeah, you, you, you're going to say, what, what were you going to say, Steve? No, that he also got, uh, with Death Stranding, I think one of the most important things is that he's got the freedom to do something new. Yes. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's not linked to any Metal Gear thing, hopefully. And uh, so, yeah, one of the things, I think he's got the qualities of a great artist because, uh, I mean, you care about the story, you care about the characters, you, I mean, you you are with the characters through a whole timeline, so it's like, it's a huge thing, and you care about the characters, and you care if one of them dies or something. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 really that's the quality of good art, uh, good art, just making people care about the stuff you write and the stories. The thing that sort of makes you step out of life a little bit and just like take it, take everything into stock, and um, and and think a little bit outside of your own sphere of thought and feelings. Um, and to challenge things, I think great art challenges and um, is in its own way controversial, and that definitely is an aspect of, of Kojima's work. Um, uh, and he's he's done things which, obviously, it's very clear from everything that's been said of him um, in many outlets and in many award speeches, as you will have heard um, in the intro to this podcast. With um, I sort of cut together if, just for some background of the intro. Um, there's uh, clips from Mads Mikkelsen, clips from Norman Reedus. Uh, from Guillermo del Toro and uh, Jeff Keighley, which are all kind of part of his sort of sphere of connected people. But um, as you can probably see in some of the uh, images that I've kind of put together for the podcast, um, we talk about that Bridges logo, about how many webs and how many literal strands uh, connect so much of what the, the man himself is influenced by and connects to. I think on one of the Hideo Tube episodes, he says that he watches like a hundred movies a year or something, or that may have been his co-host, but something up into that number, and he says that he wants to watch more. Um, so, and I really appreciate, for example, that the guy, you'll see him like in a selfie with Idris Elba, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. like you, don't, you don't see Shigeru Miyamoto do that. You don't see uh, Hideo Taka Miyazaki do that. Like, he is the rock star game developer, you know? Oh, for sure. <laughs> but I also think he he um he walks his talk big time, and um, I also similarly to what uh, you were saying, uh, Eduardo, and also Steve, that uh, what it represents, it's it's that unknown right now. And I also think, and I would love to hear what you guys think, because we have a community on the on the Reddit that um, loves to indulge in uh, trying to again. Um, connect things that may only initially seem tangentially possibly connected uh, with like Neil Blomkamp and stuff but um, there have been a lot of theories that uh, and a lot of uh, essays actually that have been written by really uh, eloquent and, and well-spoken and well-phrased uh, Reddit Redditors and um, what I'll probably be doing is uh, leading up to the next episode and starting from there I'll actually be um, private messaging some of them I'm pretty sure the kind of unspoken thing would be look hey I appreciate the shout out and I don't have to ask for permission but um, I think are you, would you guys be interested in something like that where I kind of read out some of the theories that would be actually beneficial. It'll give us a track to follow just because there's so many theories that we can go off tangents. Absolutely. That's <laughs> yeah, true. it could be true. Yeah. That's right. It'll be easier to have something clear cut. 
That's right. And what I find, um, I'm just thinking about, um, like, for example, some of this, the Last Jedi stuff happening now. Um, Ryan uh, Johnson, the director of that one, he actually cited like something like seven or so mainline films that were like, these are the like narrative and thematic and visual DNA of Last Jedi. If you are interested in that, feel free to watch them. And they're all movies from the 50s and 60s. So um, you're, you're right that, you know, the, the spectrum of where... Um, uh, Death Stranding story can go is much much wider than Star Wars because Star Wars has that pre-existing mythology um, but what I think would be interesting is to do similarly to what some of those podcasts do which say well this scene in like ne Letter Never Sent or uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai was very similar to what this character is going through and therefore maybe Ryan or maybe Kojima took inspiration from that to take that next narrative leap and maybe the story will go this way because um, most of the series I would say respectfully they are um, going too much into the trailers I'm sorry but do, do you guys also agree like the trailer wouldn't show almost anything of the narrative I think right yeah well, well, I think it's uh... They're, they're good, good. The trailers are good teasers. I mean, they don't tell us a lot. And I think they decide to, uh, you know, uh, make people think about what the hell is happening because it's so, they're so weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, that's what I love about those shows that I don't really understand what's happening there. But there's many, like, interesting sci fi concepts combined with horror shit and uh so yeah it's it's fascinating because you don't know you want to know like yeah. uh kojima releases this uh, new logo the new bridges logo and uh people search all around about what the hell is this about and some people find like this bridge in some european country or something and uh, uh with a link maybe with this logo and i mean that's that's what's awesome about this kind of uh Teasing uh, thing Kojima does. Exactly, the game has yeah. begun. But yeah, go ahead, Ed. Yeah, to, to piggyback on how you said that, you know, that he, these trailers are definitely teasers and there's some hints of sci fi and horror. And, uh, you know, with that, I do think that there's a little bit of insight of what we're expecting to see from these games because one of the things that we've all come to know about Kojima is that he very deliberately sets up his trailers in a specific way not only for them to be weird as you said but to show some sort of remnant of what the game will be but it's never absolutely clear and that's kind of what's amazing so what i'm really excited about especially with these death stranding trailers is that he's hinting at some themes that he hasn't really touched on yet which he's obviously been hinting about lately with you know the how death is going to be a mechanic which immediately makes me think of games like dark souls and dead space for example but when it comes down to when you said horror um i'm getting a very kind of hp lovecraftian type of vibe uh based on yeah based on the, the you know the monoliths that are floating in the air when norman reedus is standing on that you know, on that beach, it's just like, well, maybe these are the great ones, you know, kind of to call back to Bloodborne, for example, because you do see similar, you know, similar imagery in games like this. And even in movies, you see that kind of imagery in some really old movies, like even, uh, I can't remember the name of some of these films, but but, but you get the gist. There's a lot of these for example, like the scenes man. that are... Yeah, the third man. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, yes. uh, I'm actually just hoping that uh, 
you don't have like only uh, skeleton zombie soldiers as enemies actually i'm actually hoping there are some sort of weird monsters <laughs> that you can fight in, in this oh story. yeah that'll be awesome uh, i mean uh, yeah, yeah we were talking exactly. about bloodborne that's one of my favorite games of all time uh, it's only uh, like a, a two-year-old game and it's also it, it's already one of my favorite games yeah and you you, you i mean you can kill uh like the most amazing variety of monsters and like uh, beasts and uh it's, it's just great it's just awesome it's, it's an incredibly creative game and uh i hope something similar happens with uh the stranding yeah, for sure, and I and that's the thing about games like Bloodborne is that you remember every single enemy that you confront. Mm, that's true. And that's right. You remember every single one, and you remember each one that hits you because they're they're all memorable. And like I just got the platinum trophy for uh, maybe a month ago because I was obsessed with it. And that's the thing. If we were to expect that from Kojima, I would I could definitely expect that from him just based on, for example, in that trailer when you see the the tentacles kind of rolling off of the tanks that are going over that bridge when del toro's going under that that's what reminded me initially even more about hp lovecraft about the call of Cthulhu and all of those things just because everything just looks bizarre and slimy and just kind of not just otherworldly but you know it, it's it, it seems bigger than we what we are it's scary to us it's unknown to us and that's what makes this kind of amazing and very reminiscent of cosmic horror. Absolutely, absolutely. And one thing I uh, remember uh, experiencing when I was kind of following, you know, the, after the, um, the, the the second trailer with Mads Mikkelsen, there was a lot of, uh, because that gave us more imagery and it actually broadened the spectrum because um, we, we forget very, uh, very easily, but between the first and second trailer, the, the, the theories, um, it's, it, there was a big shift in them because we didn't have as much imagery as we did established. However, I, I have two things, uh, yeah, exactly. I have two things, though, in my head that are kind of my, uh, like, things that I've learned from Kojima, which, uh, for example, in the Metal Gear Solid Five, uh, not only, as we all remember, that the marketing of that campaign of that one, you know, it just marketed it initially as the Phantom Pain, you know, um, which oh, was, yeah. yeah. So I know that there are some people that believe that the Death Stranding isn't the real name, um, that like the name could be Bridges or the name could be something else and that this is all part of a giant kind of um, super uh, um, uh, super kind of elaborate um, uh, um, you know um, ruse. ruse I suppose but um, but I, what I personally think is um, when uh, Yong started connecting the imagery of the Luden's figure right Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. about how he resembled something that would be able to be in outer space, something that might ostensibly be able to travel between dimensions. Um, I do also believe that there is kind of no smoke, smoke, no smoke without a fire in terms of some of the imagery, which allows us to not just say, you know, again, the other thing that I was going to say is um, I'm, I'm, all, I'm always prepared for the write-off, as I call it, the Kojima write-off, which was, it's all a dream. Or it was all a vision, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which we, we might find out that Death Stranding is you wake up in uh, you you know the, the game opens and you are living in New York because he did talk about New York and I think he was uh, uh, you know um, at one point he mentioned I think in the Tribeca 
festival uh, that he was developing assets, and then he, his translator quickly said, "But we're not we're not creating assets for New York, you know." <laughs> yeah. Um, but it immediately made me think. Well, what if uh, we literally are like Norman, a researcher, uh, in some kind of place where where you know that there's a research into kind of other dimensions and stuff, and we just wake up and we've got like a suit on and we walk down the street, and um, he's been having these regular dreams. Like, there's a lot of dreamlike imagery. Um, uh, associated with the trailers as well so uh, this again it's so it's so broad and, and and that's why I also quite I think that our subreddit personally is one of the most creative places that I've ever seen in reddit because sure. the absence of information invites the mind to populate that void with rationales and with narratives you know Mm -hmm. Which uh, I think. Uh, what is what has been some of your favorite theories? And it's a safe space. Feel free to, to discuss any of them. Oh man, where did I start? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's like uh, I love everything that has to do like with uh, yeah uh, different dimensions and uh, I mean you've got the uh, the ducks that Norman has and uh, I mean it's, it's like quantum physics and everything and. It's, it's the weirdest thing, and I just, I like everything that has to do, like, with black holes, and, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, 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 I don't, I don't know how they're going to use those dog tags in the story or anything, but, I mean, it has, if, if it has to do, like, with string theory or something like that, I, I kind of like the theories that go around that, yeah. yeah. Then we also have the Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, actually making those dog tags a physical object, which if you want to oh. take the, yeah, take the route of you know the fact uh take the take that premise of those dog tags obviously being real and not being some kind of dream thing because i'm sure like um if you think about uh, what's a source of media that explore like in treatment or or any other tv show where the premise is like discussing symbolic dreams um i could see myself having a dream of waking up naked on a beach and my i've got i've got a necklace that has like quantum like if i was stressing a lot about my uh physics or like th physics theory test i would have that dream you know <laughs> of mm -hmm. um, of being and and you can actually apply a lot of Freud's uh, dream analysis uh, to those trailers and entering of tunnels and waking up on beach and being uh, uh, you know like the naked savior figure without the belly button um, being severed from one's motherhood being severed from one's uh, childhood like there's there's a lot can, that can be dived into and, and speculated upon and um, I also think and you guys would be interested to hear what you think about how open because as we, I think we were discussing in the sort of pre-call that uh, Kojima, for example, compared to Hidetaka Miyazaki, where he is the, he's the um, implicit, and then there's like I think we were saying one of them implicit and one of them's explicit. And uh, uh, were you telling me that? I can't remember Steve or Eddie. Which one was? Uh, which one of you? Uh, no, I was saying that uh, Kojima likes to talk a lot, talk a lot about his, uh, the things he wants to express uh, through his games, the ideas, the yeah, his exposition. exposition. Yeah, the, the exposition. And uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki, he's like a uh, he's like a hermit. He, he doesn't he doesn't want to. I mean, I haven't seen like any interview with him in video form. Or um, there's I like just, one, I think. Yeah, he, he, he just he, he just uh, likes the players to discover the worlds he creates. And uh, I mean, like uh, we were talking about Bloodborne and. There is this guy uh, called uh, Redgrave who made this book, uh, like exploring the, the the mythos and the lore of Bloodborne. Yeah. 
Yes. And there's so many stuff that you just don't get from playing the game once. And uh, that's what's fascinating about him. But Kojima uh, does something very different that's also very good, which is... Uh, uh, I think he, he creates amazing characters and amazing stories too. And uh, uh, I mean, you, um, you, you, you kind of get something very uh, movie-like. Uh, and this is not, I mean, a lot of people say this is a bad thing, but uh, you, uh, I don't know, I think the entertainment is, 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 is great with his games. Um, uh, and uh, yeah. That's, well, that's definitely one of the things we talked about when, uh, with the difference between the two. With Miyazaki, he's definitely very subtle. Um, and he, he just likes you to, like you said, I really like that you said you, he, he emphasizes that you need to explore and you need to discover these things for yourself. And there are all these little nuances, like with Bloodborne you have insight and that lets you, collecting that lets you see things that you wouldn't normally see. But then with Kojima, his way is simultaneously show and tell. Because you do discover things and you're also told some of it just to help you along with some of that exposition, some of that storytelling becomes clearer and you get more attached to it because you're consuming it and actually being a part of it. That's right. Yeah. I just had a sudden thought about like the difference in uh, HUD presence, you know, heads-up display between Metal Gear Solid and Death Stranding, for example. I personally think that just with the direction, just with how, like, we already, we already knew that um, Kojima kind of one of his conditions for doing Metal Gear Solid 5 was like, okay, I'll come, to, I'll do it, you know, I did kind of wrap things up in 4, but if I'm going to do 5, but you're going to have to let me stretch my wings, um, even though the, the relationship, as we both know, turned pretty toxic and then eventually became yeah. severed, but, um, you know, he talked about the four word inspirations for each of the Metal Gear titles, like Gene and Scene and Meme, and this one was, uh, I think, Revenge was, like, he kind of, see, he broke the norm with uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, and um, mm -hmm. I think that like he was already you could already tell like there was this burgeoning uh even though he's he's been making he'd been making games for so long he's kind of experiencing you know how we all had the Mag matthew mcgonaghy sounds like the renaissance of that guy when he just sort of yeah like like he's almost 40 <laughs> the guy and that and yet you can almost say his career started in earnest in terms of uh like um like uh, the, the the actor of like how much spectrum he has uh, and his, uh, his mm -hmm. performance the richness of the performance it started with um, Dallas Buyers Club and True Detective like that's when Matthew McConaughey like arrived and I yeah. think I think Kojima is really like he's not sitting on his laurels and he, I think he really wants to break almost shatter again what he's already been in a way because he he, he, he even said like I, I was looking at doing something vastly different but at the same time I know there's an expectation of me out there but as we both know, he, he both acknowledges and yet also rejects people's expectations. And when he was in the interview recently with Jordan Vo Roberts about the Metal Gear movies, like the biggest favor you can do for your audience is to betray their um, expectations. Yes. Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and think, there's definitely a parallel there with McConaughey, you know, after seeing him in movies like Sahara and then jumping to Dallas Buyers Club, it's a stark difference. There is a huge difference, exactly. I'll put that in the show notes of like, we talk about his similarity to Matthew McConaughey and people will be like, what? <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got to, I got to listen to this one. Um, but anyway, yeah. let's, let's crack on with the, some of the structure. As long, unless anyone else had anything else to kind of add, I don't want to cut anyone off. Uh, uh, I will say that um, Go right the, thing with, uh, the, the thing that's so special with Death Stranding is that it feels like something new. 
brand new. And I mean, we've, uh, we've heard Kojima saying like, okay, this is going to be my last Metal Gear game since, I don't know, 1998. Yes. So uh, it, it's funny because you play Metal Gear Solid, the, fir the first Metal Gear Solid, and uh, it feels like the conclusion of Solid Snake's story. It does. I mean, it, it. I mean, it, it feels like a conclusion, and uh, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think Metal Gear Solid Two would have happened if Metal Gear Solid One would have. Uh, what? I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't such a great success and it became so ridiculously popular. That's right. Uh, because when that game when that game came out, it, I mean, it was like it was the game you had to buy. It, it was, was that. It was that brilliant new thing in the video game industry, and uh, I mean, it's good that Kojima is saying he wants to do something similar with Death Stranding. I really like that, yeah, and I totally, mm -hmm. I, I totally resonate with that. And um, what, I, what that actually made me think of is um, when uh, we were presented this game that, you know, this is around about the same time, as you, as you said, of, like, there was Nintendo doing its thing, there was, uh, you know, with, with that kind of... Let's just say that that slice of pie of the spectrum of the human experience that a Nintendo game can cover, which is kind of kind of kids orientated. When we saw what Metal Gear was, then and, I'm, and I and I think um, Death Stranding in its own way, in its own sort of next gen way, will do the same thing. I remember, like for example, one of my enduring memories from Metal Gear was I was scared because I was younger and like when the movie when, when, when it got a bit kind of intense I would just hide I would like I was so grateful for the mechanic of being able to hide I would find something and then I would call someone and I would just feel peace in the fact that and I felt like cozily like safe underneath some tanker or something and I would just call up people just to kind of bring my heart rate down you know and I would and, and I would and I every time I called like Mei Ling or like Master Miller they always had something different to say and I was like this feels like it's tapping into that human thing of like Kojima knows you would probably get stressed at this point and that's why he gives you this option to, to be able to kind of um, scale that back and, and, and obviously like Metal Gear is, is, is a huge it's like even he would admit look my identity is very much wrapped into it uh, because he put so much of himself I think uh, it's in many documentaries that uh, he played hide and go seek with his son and that, that's one of the things that inspired uh, him to um, like put that mechanic into a game because that is such a universal thing like we all play hide and seek right yeah so, yeah and i think like what universal thing will he pick and like make death stranding about because if he's saying this is going to be more about the ropes than the stick you know um that it just your, your mind like struggles to anchor to something because he's even said he's gone on, ex on extended uh, uh um sort of statements about how i actually i want to give myself that challenge actually i remember where it was he was discussing dunkirk you guys read that article oh yeah i actually watched watch the movie too it's same here you know and again i think there's a there's a, a hideo seal of approval for me where i i only really i think became interested in la la land because of his uh like obsession with that movie he saw it 10 times you know he mm -hmm. like, he wanted to get emma stone into his game and everything you know that's yeah great. and you know, and that's a, that's definitely, I think, the common denominator with all these things. All these things is the human element, um, because when, just like when you said, I, I, when you get so stressed out playing MGS One, I felt that too when I was a kid. I was, you know, eleven years old when I first played it, and I remember sitting down and calling everyone, and I couldn't tell you how many times, like how much time I spent on Metal Gear Solid Three, going through every single possible code I call. I would leave an area call everybody on that list and then go back to the other area and just do it over and over just to get 
just more out of these characters. And when he talked about Dunkirk, it's the same thing. When I went to watch that film, these things, there's a human element behind them. And the the type of storytelling, it, it does exactly what Kojima wants. It betrays the audience because, you know, not to spoil Dunkirk for everyone, <laughs> but the ending is, it's not a happy ending. It's not a hero's journey. It's not, you know, there's not a happy ending. There's no real resolution at the end of that. For sure. Because it just shows you what these people go through and just existing and surviving is a victory in and of itself. And then the same with La La Land, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, it's not a happy ending and it's not a real resolution. It just shows you this is where these people are in their lives now. You're right. This is how they feel. Yeah, there's that common thread of the subversive, subverting the genre tropes. And I think, you know, Nolan did that by making kind of almost like an anti-war war movie. La La Land played mm -hmm. on some of, and there was a lot of meta commentary within La La Land itself of like musicals in, in and of themselves. I mean, the, the film itself is set within film industry, you know, so mm -hmm. um, there's that there. But also what you were saying, Steve, about like how different everything was. What I kind of just thought of just now is what Death Stranding represents is for someone who already decided to just pick up gaming, pick up convention, and just drop it to the ground and shatter it. What would what would like, you know? There's that moment in the the Matrix. I think one of the Matrix movies where you suddenly think to yourself, "Well, what if everything else is a Matrix?" You know? Uh, I think yeah. it was at the end when he sort of raises his hand and like the Sentinel stops, and you're like, "But he wasn't jacked in. How was he able to control that?" You know? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's like, well, if he's already shattered a lot of where gaming was going in, in terms of like turning the genre on its head and making this about sneaking around and not being just some uh, excessive uh, caricaturized male fantasy, male power fantasy of just constantly shooting everyone and introduced us, introduced us to these ideas of androgyny, you know, like one of his touchstones uh, imagery and for also um, Yoji Shinkawa's artwork was David Bowie and it can be argued that I think uh, in the early days of meme memeing there was a picture that said every single character in uh, Metal Gear looks like David Bowie you know yeah <laughs> especially Miller yes that's right they all kind of do I'm, I'm just wondering uh, I'm just wondering if there's going to be I mean the boss that everyone remembers from NGS1 is like Psychomantis because yeah. so it's, it's so uh specific the way that boss works yeah. and the way it blew everyone's mind i mean everyone remembers that part when the the, the screen just goes black yeah. and you think that your tv is broken or something and you you kind of wonder is it possible to still do something like that in 2017 20 in 2018 if the game comes out that, that year um is it possible to do something like that something that original something that specific well, uh, I, I think there is, actually. Because uh, if we think about it, uh, when he did that in MGS4, it's like, oh, it's time to put in disc two. And it's, you know, he's just trolling you in that sense when Autocon tells you that. And you're just like, there's no disc two. Oh my God. Like, this is so campy. But, you know, even with that, it's possible that he would, you know, start something like, oh, you don't have the DLC yet. And it's just like, what? There's going to be DLC? And then he takes it away from you. Like, no, there's not. You're still playing the game. That, oh my good. what I, I had never thought of that well done oh my god <laughs> yeah how about you steve anything that like out of out of out of left field that could be incorporated into um the uh like playing with the fourth fourth wall breaking what what do you think could could come into it uh i think uh, i think this uh, idea is good in terms of criticizing the games industry 
Uh, I've got a lot of criticism towards what the games industry has become, uh, like in more of the corporate things. Uh, I don't want to go too uh, into it, uh, but um, yeah, if he can like do something like that, I mean, and, and tell you something like the DLC uh, Eduardo just mentioned, that'll be really cool. Yeah, make <laughs> some very commentary about microtransactions. You know? Yeah. That could be cool. And then I just suddenly thought of, you know, uh, you know, with Destiny, they have that companion app, you know? Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, MGS5 had that too, but it wasn't as... It was It was cool. I don't know if you ever used it. It's essentially the, uh, you know, your map function and then your FIB stuff is... It's all on there. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily as interactive as you think it could be. Because you can use it while you're in-game, but you don't want to be looking at your smartphone while holding a controller. It's just... It's just... It's not feasible. That's true, that's yeah. true. And, uh, oh, actually, what were you going to say? Sorry, I heard you speak, Steven. Uh, no, I was agreeing with Eddie. I also think, the thing is that I hope this game is not like a, the, the kind of corporate game that we see so often these days. Uh, I hope they're just not trying to milk every cent you got, uh, like many games. I'm not, I'm not into like multiplayer online games that much. So I just I, I just hope you, you you have like a decent a very good uh, single player experience and uh, that it hopefully does some something fun something entertaining with. I think so too. Yeah, I really yeah I really hope that they you know he he takes some sort of uh, uh, inspiration from Horizon Zero Dawn and the Souls games just because if you think about it with the Dark Souls games how you have that PvP it's not invasive. Unless you want it to be with, you know, having people invade you and you're invading them. It, it's just, it, it's very controlled. Um, and unlike other games where you have to, not have to, but it's like pay, either pay to win or pay to progress. And that just kind of takes a lot away from the game. It takes away from the experience because it, re it includes so many other factors that are not necessarily fun. Uh, they feel, they feel like tiresome and like they feel like chores to have to um, kind of um, tolerate. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like it's like there's a new controversy every every time a game comes out. It's like I really love the uh, the uh, Shadow of Mortar game, and oh, it, yeah. it, there's like a controversy now about that game and being like baby wing or something. And uh, you kind of go, well, maybe I'll I'll wait or maybe I'll just not buy it. <laughs> Or, or, or Battlefront 2, yeah. which is also facing similar uh, bad press as, yeah, right. as it is, you know. Yeah, I think it boils down to the publishers too, just because you know Activision has been definitely a huge, and Ubisoft, they, they've been a huge uh, pusher of the microtransactions, and I think also For Honor is a really good example because I was really excited to play it, and I still am. But all the microtransactions and all the gear and all the constant uh, grinding that you have to do just to get better gear to move along and get better in the game itself. It's not only stressful and time consuming, but it just kind of, it takes me out of the game. You know, while I'm having fun trying to do what the game is asking of me, uh, it's it's counteracted by the fact that I have to either pay more money or grind for ridiculous hours. And ultimately I'm gonna have to spend money to get a little bit better to compete with these people who are also paying money. What I can take yeah. solace, yeah. What I can take solace in, actually, I think what we all can, is that um, I'm sure this kind of uh, occurred to you when you were playing, for example, Metal Gear Solid Five. Is that when you 
it, unlike it was in the 90s and stuff, right? When you put the disc in or when you click the open the application, I can't believe we call them applications, you know, on the PlayStation 4. Um, that there's the loading screen, and then there's like, oh, loading online, connecting online. Uh, here's all your updates, and then you finally, finally get to the loading screen. Whereas I remember like just putting in Metal Gear Solid, you just it was like, it was. Um, it was almost like hypnotic. Like you understood that. Oh, well, as soon as I put the disc in, I could almost time it, uh, just like muscle memory. I know that this the PlayStation screen is gonna just go up. Then I know the choral music is gonna begin, and it's and then you press start, and then you get straight into it. And I I think um, with the theme of uh, death uh, of Kojima sort of re re, uh, re like revisiting his um, heritage and re revisiting his influences, I think he's going to want to make this as simple to jump in as possible. Another thing is that he's not with Konami anymore, where um, I think that they pushed a lot of that into him. I think they seized on his ambition to uh, want to create a bigger game with the whole base building aspect. And I, I just picked up uh, from that dynamic it was almost like it, it was beneficial in a way for how long it lasted that there was this interrelationship between art and commerce that um, we had him the artist who was like I just okay well I wasn't planning I, as you said it almost feels like every Metal Gear game doesn't set itself up for a sequel apart from some of the kind of teasers right but I feel yeah. like it was every single time it was Konami went and it's like hey do you want to do another one and it was always him saying okay but let me take it further and they were like okay we'll manage you we'll sort of wrangle you as this kind of unpredictable artist who will then take ownership for uh, ownership of make money off of and then we'll do it over and over and i think with the base building like hideo who was like i want to go to open world i've seen i've been inspired by all these open worlds i want to do that and then they were like great let's jump in you know the commerce minded like they've got their commerce goggles on they say okay well we'll we'll let you do this as long as you incorporate this aspect and i'm, I'm certain that's that that's what was the case with metal gear solid 5 what's really great about death stranding is that he's literally described the way he got his studio started as like my friends my friends came to help me and now i can do whatever i want you know um oh yeah yeah and for I, sure and, and, and I, I definitely want to agree with you on that mgs5 thing it, it, with that commerce state of mind it, it kind of reminds me a lot of how the market is changing and it, all of these companies especially konami as we know it, they're going to mobile games you know because everyone's on their smartphone and those microtransactions obviously they they add up it doesn't seem like much but you know just to call back to games like candy crush as much as i don't like to play these games at all people definitely play them and it's like gambling it just you pour a couple of you know a couple of dollars here and there and after before you know it you've already spent that 60 dollars that you would have spent on one AAA title and over the course of you know a month and then you keep paying because you're continually playing that game and they definitely thought of that when they created that base-to-base -base, you know online incorporation of gameplay in mgs5 yeah what did you what did you um think about that one uh, steve the the whole like what, what the opportunity yeah i mean i mean there's a discussion about whether or not uh things like loot boxes are gambling yeah and i mean yeah are you gonna are you gonna let your kid uh i mean play a game where you have like this kind of gambling and it's a, it's a complicated thing to talk about but uh this is the kind of thing i don't want in a game like this trending um, I, I never really played a lot of uh, MGO. Uh, I, I played a lot of MGO too, and I, and I loved it, but I didn't play a lot of um, the MGS5 online game. Um, 
I, I just, uh, it wasn't very interesting, uh, and I, I thought it wasn't very interesting, and I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's about the, the way these companies are trying to uh, uh, get your, as much money as they can, and uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of incentive there, and that's what's kind of, you know, sad for, not to say that we're traditional gamers, but in a sense we are, because we like to play these on our consoles and sit at home and do these things, but they want people to, you know, they want to take advantage of online capabilities and not only connect people, but connect people to their wallets. Uh, so there's definitely some insight there when it comes down to, you know, like I said with mobile, with mobile games is just charging people constantly. It's more efficient for them and that's where the commerce statement comes in, where they, of course they want to make money because that's what a company does. But they're also losing, I, I guess the only way I really want to say this is that they're losing respect for the art form because they only see it, or they will only invest in it as long as it makes them money. Which is, which is a shame that we're seeing that um, spread uh, across so many different I, uh, IPs and then you see that being something yeah. in the news, it feels like, why are we discussing this? It feels so disconnected with what games are about. I do agree that um, what makes, actually, I, you know, you mentioned Horizon Zero Dawn, hello, Decima Engine. Um, I think that, you know, that's where we can actually take, that is almost undeniable now because you mentioned Horizon being a game that you hoped that this, the Death Stranding would take more of a direction towards. I don't think we have any better assurance than the fact that he like like beelined to them. I mean, he obviously went around the world and stuff with um, who's the architect of the PS4? I keep forgetting. Mark Cerny. He, mm-hmm. when, when he was looking for the engine, uh, I can tell that there was that connection that he made with Herman Hulse of like, yes, you respect the old ways too? That's great, because when I fire up Horizon Zero Dawn, we go straight into it. You know, there's the intro cinematic and it's a game. It's like, feels like a game. So um, I'm actually happy to see that, like, for example, selling the Ludens figures and stuff, go crazy with the merch. I'm happy for external merch and I think posters and um, like t-shirts and stuff, that's totally fine. Um, but I see, I see exactly what both of you mean, which is like respecting the integrity of the art and then allowing that to be, like I turned off my um, trophy pop-ups recently Mm-hmm. because I'm just I really want to just let the thing like do we get a trophy pop up when I'm watching Gangs of New York it's like oh this scene blah 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 like uh, no when you're watching a movie you're focused entirely on it and I don't like things taking away from the artistic integrity uh, or, or even just from the entertainment aspect like I don't want to be distracted by that so I think we can I mean obviously anything can go any way because we're a little bit further out but I think I'm going to just put that in my heart of just like giving myself assurance that like I, I know that Kojima wouldn't do that so I think we, we, we can kind of I'm going to kind of quasi put that one to rest hopefully um, nothing that he's done recently at least has uh, hinted at him at, at um, Koji Productions or Death Stranding going that way and I love that they're an independent studio yeah and that says a lot about the industry too just because if you, if you think about it with a lot of the AAA titles that have been coming out recently there's you know that level of hype that comes with it, you know, and the amount of uh, money spent on advertising and marketing and merchandise. The amount of merchandise that, you know, Death Stranding has been putting out is very minimal if you compare it to things like, um, you know, NBA 2K18 or um, what was the game that just came out recently? Uh, well, like even Shadow of War, you know, there's just so much push and advertising constantly. We don't see Death Stranding ads all over the place. What, what we have now is just the Ludens figures some posters, a couple of t-shirts, you know, maybe some sweaters, and then 
um, the vinyl, the vinyl record, the low roar vinyl record, which I actually ended up getting, <laughs> and I'm and I'm happy to have it because I've actually listened to it way more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> and it's, there's a there's a sense of quality to it, you know, uh, um, because there's there's not uh, just so much hype in the sense that they're pushing it in our faces constantly, as opposed to Call of Duty, they're just pushing it down our throats, where it's in every ad on every channel constantly because they're, pour they're pouring so many of their resources towards the hype and not really on the quality and the respect of the art form. True, absolutely. Wait, did you want to say anything, Steve? Uh, no, I mean, I agree with you about the uh, merchandise. I mean, uh, I think that Luden's figure, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous design. Uh, Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever gonna buy it, but uh, and yeah. it's, it's funny because it's not even well, if we take Kojima's work for granted, it's not even part of the game, it's just the mascot, yeah, <laughs> but it's a great design, so uh, that's right. So that's interesting, that's an interesting point, yeah. And I like that, like, I, I, I'm always, I'm always really uh, intrigued by uh, just how, uh, like, when I when I I, I think I posted it months ago. <coughs> I think I made a speculative post about what Death Stranding's release would be and whether it would itself, the release, break a few conventions. And I and I put forward the idea. Look, I just had this vision of seeing like an actual premiere, like a, a, a premiere, like a black carpet premiere for Death Stranding. And I could see in my mind's eye Mads Mikkelsen with his family. He goes to all of the premieres with his family. I could see uh, Norman Reedus. I could see Guillermo del Toro showing up. You know, and it just weirdly, you know, you mentioned quality. I think. I, I really uh, I, I think that that's something that um, he's he's kind of setting everything up towards like I, I think that's going to be part of the big reveal is that um, as well as the thematic uh, emphasis on changing and uh, changing the kind of the conventions of, of video game narrative and uh, and multiplayer which I think he's made it has he actually made it pretty much clear that it'll be sort of open world online yeah, yeah, similar, similar to, to uh, I, that, that makes, makes me re reminiscent of Grand Theft Auto Five on some yes. level. Yeah, and he's he's expressed uh, um, interest and uh, kinship with that as well. So I think yeah. we're going to be seeing that, and I think the like the hugeness of of the game will will feel like it is not only um, giving us something new in terms of games, but I think in terms of everything around the game, like something just something is uh, is kind of setting me up for that. It might be the fact that, you know, Metal Gear Solid Five. we saw Hideo Kojima with a damn, like, uh, bandage around his face, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Playing Ishmael, like, I really feel like he, he's on to the fact that we know that he goes bigger and bigger with every game in terms of... Uh, do you guys remember anything in particular for uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 or 4 uh, in terms of meta-marketing meta and stuff? Oh, I remember... Uh, you actually even have some of the... DVDs that were kind of given away at GameStop that had some of that, uh, like retracing the steps of the advertising and all of that. Actually, have it here. I can see it. Um, I just remember that for uh, MGS3, Kojima, like the advertisement, the first advertisement that he did was like mocking the fact that he used Raiden in MGS3. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're going to hide. Yeah, and, and in the first, I think the first teaser or something, he, he just. Uh, use Raiden as a protagonist, and then he show. Uh, it's not gonna be Raiden. It's gonna be Snake again. Yeah. Uh, so he was kind of, kind of playing around the, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that uh, he knew that 
everyone kind of hated Raiden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then we wanted to be him in MGS4. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because, oh, I, I have mad, I think uh, in terms of art direction, you know how with the Otacons, like, little kind of droid thing that kind of has that sort of ambulatory um, cable as an arm thing, kind of reminded me of yeah. the cables from the uh, the cable, umbilical cables, rather, of um, Matt Bickelson's character, which uh, oh, I would Interesting point. Yeah, it's sort of... Um, you know, you know what I remember about in MGS4? There's this amazing trailer where... Uh, there's like a character playing in first-person mode. It's like a soldier playing in first-person mode. And he's like uh, running around like the, uh, in the desert. And then Snake shows up and takes his gun and like beats him up. And, the, 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 and then uh, some letters show up and uh, appear and say like, this is not going to be a first-person shooter. And then Snake takes, the snake takes the gun and like leaves. <laughs> so it was like... Uh, it was mocking the... Uh, the popularity of uh, first-person shooters back in what was that, mm -hmm. like 2007. Yeah, it was, that was like when uh, Call of Duty. That, that, I thought that. Out, yeah. I thought that 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 um yeah that that ad was great. <laughs> that yeah. was fantastic. The, the the creativity of this of these ads are great. Yeah. Now that I think about it, the ads were different by region because some of the ones that we got here in the U.S. were drastically different than what they were actually showing in Japan. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. My gosh, um, I, yeah, I guess we'd expect nothing, uh, nothing less for a Death Stranding slash Kojima podcast to be able to go in all sorts of directions. But I will attempt to just kind of route this one. Feel, by the way, I'll just say it from the top. Also, this is addressing you guys and also the audience. We we feel pretty comfortable with this kind of being a loosely loose slash structured show. I do have stuff that we can do regular rundowns with and kind of catch ups with every week. Because um, as myself, as far as myself are concerned, I like to kind of get updates from um, various podcasts about stuff that I'm kind of tracking the development of, whether it's films and stuff um, or or games and. Um, what I was thinking is uh, every time, every episode, we kind of look at the the Twitter um, of, of um, uh, have a segment dedicated to kind of just like, not like crazily analyzing every little thing and sort of uh, being all stalkerish about it, but just giving a like a, a, a little kind of a, a, a flick through, breeze through some of the images and sort of see where the man is at at the oh, moment. Oh, yeah. For sure. I feel good sure. about that. Awesome. Um, but speaking of which, we'll just go straight into some of the news. So um, it's very clear at the moment that he is preparing to write another Glixel slash Rolling Stone um, uh, article about Blade Runner 2049, which, as we know, um, his game Snatcher was pretty much directly inspired by uh, Blade Runner, and um, it's very it's very mm -hmm. clear that it, that it was. And also, uh, we can talk about how... I mean, it's among his top five, I believe, Blade Runner, and um, we look at Blade Runner super quickly in case you haven't actually I don't want to spoil anything but needless to say there's a aspect within the beginning um, of the of that film which kind of echoes the beginning of Metal Gear Solid um, where it's a voiceover or a, a breakdown of a couple of characters that the protagonist will need to encounter like you guys remember in Metal Gear Solid um, there's Campbell saying like Sniper Wolf and um and like that like for that premise that structure of like a protagonist being briefed at the beginning and then needing to go mm -hmm. to each of them and defeat them like uh like that's blade runner you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so um he, it's clear that this movie and i look i'll go around the table who has seen blade runner and who has seen blade runner 2049 
I've seen both. Only seen the first. I, I, I think the first one is good, and I think the second one is just is glorious. It's, uh, it's I, so I, I, glorious. It's glorious. <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I've seen it three times because I can't believe how amazing it is. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ed, Ed, you please uh, take our endorsement. Steve and I are literally like, like staring you right in the face and being like, go and see this movie two nights. <laughs> Oh man, it's uh well one in the morning my time, so I, that's no I'll excuse. That's no excuse, Steve. You think that's come on? Are you a real fan or what? Yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch it. I just need to make the time. If you don't break into the cinema tonight, you're not a real fan. Okay, I'm kidding. All right, well I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do is rewatch the original Blade Runner one last time and then just immediately go to the theater. Perfect. Watch 2049. That's what I did for sure. So he's definitely gearing up to write one of those. I expect something along the lines of obviously what he wrote about Kong and what he wrote about uh, Dunkirk, where he's gonna, you know, uh, just drop a little, little hints here and there of what, like, how this resonated with him. And um, for example, like the uh, the Ghost in the Shell write-up didn't have too much about like his commentary insofar as what like the movie itself sort of spoke to him in, in terms of what he's doing now. That was mostly like a retrospective thing, but because like uh, Ghost in the Shell has some obviously influence on uh, Metal Gear Solid, like we can look at the imagery of that, uh, especially Metal Gear Solid itself, you know, with Grey Fox and everything, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah. something just tells me because of just how like we heard some heavy rumors at one point or i don't know if it was a rumor that went wild that ryan gosling was being pursued for death stranding you guys remember that oh i remember that yeah, yeah. that was actually relatively exciting for me just to see um an actor like him because he's been in so much over the years and he's one of the actors i've been following for sure yeah uh and I, i'm almost ashamed to say this but one of my favorite films is crazy stupid love with ryan gosling and steve carell i have to i have to watch that i haven't seen it would you vouch that Oh, definitely. And it's it, here's the interesting part, and this is why I'm saying I'm almost ashamed of it. It's just because it's it's a romantic comedy to its core. Yeah. But it's its themes are not only very simple, but they're very human because it, it, it takes you up through this whole story of this entire family and then a couple of outside characters that come in. Um, and it's just watch it and you'll you're, you're gonna absolutely love it i can guarantee that everybody has turned this movie on to they absolutely love it but they hate to admit it just because it's a romantic comedy That's yeah right. also i just want to say a little just take a little um time out just to say i'm so grateful that both of you are so open to exploring tangents because i i can tell you right now that if kojima was on the show he would appreciate that too like i can tell how he tunes out when people go too far into like just trying to break down like what Death Stranding is at the moment like because uh, it's so clear that it's in the middle of development and he himself has proven himself to be a super eclectic person um, that has a wide range of interests and it's just how I don't know it's like something about uh, being able to take all of the world's kind of different sources of inspiration and art be able to take those in from a kind of uh, with an open mind and with like this kind of worldly interest in this sort of stuff and I would not be surprised and I would not be ashamed as you said of this show becoming like a really wide like spectrum of subject matter kind of show like we'll always tie back yeah. into yeah, yeah we'll sure. always tie back into Kojima and Death Stranding obviously but like uh, it's very clear that the man himself uh, and it wouldn't just be also because he's like that it's just I think I sense just uh, from my first impression of you both which again audience reminder my actual first encounter with these two awesome gentlemen right here um, that uh, it's a it's a great pleasure to know that uh, there's people that really uh, appreciate how 
uh, how much spectrum that we can like. I'll tell you right now. I, I watched The Intern, okay, with uh, Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro because uh-huh. uh, because Kojima <laughs> uh, he he uh, vouched for it. He said it was one of his favorites of 2016, I believe, on that uh, Hideo Tube that he released for that one. And um, and Locke, I ended up watching Locke basically because of this kind of movie recommendation thing. So it just whether intentional or not, it always seems like that eclectic aspect uh, of game of uh, of um, Kojima and Metal Gear and and now obviously Death Stranding. It's I think the the thing that I appreciate most. I love the visuals. I love Yoji Shinkawa. I love everything connected to the game itself. But similar to how like Star Wars for me, the the thing that kind of connects me to Star Wars, even though there's all the flashy kind of force wielding lightsaber stuff, the core of my appreciation for that series is is the monomyth. It's Joseph Campbell. It's the fact that that's a story that has been told. Uh, across all different cultures um, that is almost a quintessentially human story that that is like the core reason for my for my interest and I, I just wanted to take a little moment to just show my appreciation that it's like yes it was all theory up until this point because I had never done something like this but <laughs> it's so great to have that be uh, validated by both of you so I just wanted to say thank you so much <laughs> no thank you for having us I mean it's, it's indicative it's highly indicative of um, the way we all consume this media and the way we see it as opposed to you know not to i'm not trying to disvalue or discount any people and you know whether it's on our you know our audience or any audience in general the way we consume these mediums and the way like we recommend them is is our own in the sense that how we consume these movies and how we recommend them is based on like you said that human element yes and what it means to us as opposed to you know like I, like I, how I preface this, I watched the last, the last night, the Transformers movie that just came out recently, yeah. and I absolutely did not enjoy any of that film. I mean, mind you, I liked a few little parts. There was a, there was a part where there were these little baby Dinobots, and they were, they were cute, but the movie as a whole, I did not enjoy. And, and I went with someone who was a huge Transformers fan, like myself, when I was a child, but it was my best friend, and she just was enthralled by it she loved it because she craves and loves those action movies those crazy beautiful visual action flicks that just she doesn't care about the narrative she cares about the action yeah and that's fair and and, appreciate and that's totally fine yeah that's totally fine to enjoy that in itself but there's just something else that we appreciate about the story and that's something you know on a tangent that we could talk about and i that's why i was definitely on board with this podcast and I appreciate exactly the same things that you're on board with. You're too kind. Yeah, anyways, if you like, the thing is that if you like Kojima, you probably have a good taste in, in music and movies, not just games. Exactly. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. it's like a, an assurance almost, like a filter of, you can make that immediate deduction. It's like Kojima says so many, like the, the liking of Kojima says so many things about someone's uh, level of... Uh, Again, this is in broad strokes, but for me generally, and as I said, this podcast proved it, that it's kind of the one, it's almost like a password. It's like, I like Kojima. And it's immediately from that, you can connect that that person, uh, you know, um, resonates with a wide variety of media, with uh, philosophy, with art, with, uh, you know, subversive media. And um, as, just as you were saying, Steve, for sure. Yep. Awesome. Terrific. Okay, so um, yeah, that was one thing, which was Blade Runner. The other thing was uh, the Brazil Game Show, which we touched on a little bit earlier. Nothing major out of that. It was just literally a, a sort of um, 
kind of I won't say I won't be, be mean and say like a, a novelty appearance, but I will say it was um, just a stopover kind of thing. And I and I, I agree with what we were saying earlier. Like it was a good opportunity for him to explore another country, and and that was kind of nice for what it was. And it was nice to get the news on the. Um, on the on the Ludens figure, um, then I just have it's a slightly old article, but it's it's worth kind of going into because um, there's been this uh, talk about how he and obviously like from the man himself from his Twitter just informing us that he's working on the script, which yeah. as simple as it, because it, it ties into how obviously there's going to be no shortage of things to talk about between you know news updates and like again Kojima's uh, subject matter lends itself to being able to fairly be fairly self-sustaining uh discussion like we'll be able to carry on even with like massive amounts of like kojima drought like the the, the premise of this show itself will allow us to kind of discuss things like uh, with a lot of um like the the amount of content that we're able to uh, analyze and um, that is just tangentially related or inspired by like i'm 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 planning on actually talking a bit on stranger things in connection to um Death Stranding in one of these episodes. Either this one, we're already about an hour. By the way, yeah, we're already about an hour. By the guy. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> really excited about that. Yeah, Stranger yeah. Things, phenomenal, and definitely some influences that I would love to talk about at some point. Yeah, uh, Steve, did you immediately like when you saw that second trailer? Did you seriously think straight off the bat like uh, Stranger Things music? Uh, it's very similar. It's very yeah. It's very eighties yeah. synth. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's kind of similar. Uh, I love what uh, Ludwig Forza is doing uh, with these games. It sounds really cool. That's right. Yeah, and then oh, there's actually one thing I wanted to mention really quickly. Uh, so I don't know if you if you remember this, but in one of the original trailers, or not, it was not only in the trailer for the first season of Stranger Things, but it was actually in one of the episodes. That song by New Order, uh, Elysia, I think it's called. Yep. That was in Stranger Things, and it was actively used in also the marketing for MGS5. So definitely, there's some, there's a lot of 80s and uh, a lot of 80s horror that I'm that I'm getting influences in Death Stranding that kind of align with Stranger Things, even including that song. Wow. So that's right. It's going, it's going to be interesting to talk about Stranger Things because I'm not that big of a fan of that show. <laughs> okay, that's I just uh, a little bit, yeah, just yeah. sort of in the in the uh, in the way you were speaking about it. Um, I think um, we will be able to like one of the things I was going to say earlier is that there are different uh, layers of depth to what you can appreciate with things. And as you said, you were talking about Transformers. You might have appreciated it as a child for various reasons, and then some people just appreciate the showy flashiness. I think we've uh, sort of established just in the past hour that we appreciate Kojima on all levels, just from from the very simple stylistic, like shoot, shoot, bang, bang kind of action, amazing anime inspired, all that sort of flashy stuff, all the way down to like the actual existential commentary on the human condition, like and everything in between. Um, yeah, Stranger Things. I know exactly what you mean, Steve. It is essentially, uh, I would, I would say, and this isn't an insult. Like some of the best things are imagery driven. But look at the poster of Stranger Things, like with yeah. the with the uh, the kids on the bikes, like evoking ET right off the bat. Um, you can see that it was an imagery driven show, and that I think that they almost probably that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly as you were saying. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing. thing. They, they've, they've got, got a, 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 a shit of posters like. E.T., uh, also like Evil Dead kind of poster, and uh, mm. but the thing is, uh, the thing I, I, I always say about Stranger Things is, uh, what uh, I mean, what's what does it have to offer for itself as beyond the nostalgia and beyond the 
the references to other films, you know. Uh, to me, there's like, I mean, not much of a good story there. But I mean, that's my that's like my opinion about that about that show. It, it didn't like shock me like. You saw rest. the whole thing, though, right? I don't I don't want to spoil it in case you are going to watch it. You saw the whole thing. Yeah, I saw the whole thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that the story isn't all that great or compelling. Yeah. Um, but I loved it for you know, the, the kids, the, the, the relationship they have with each other and that loyalty they have. So, you know, everyone will have a reason to like it, but I totally agree with you. Yeah. Guys, I'm just going to make the prediction. We're going to see one of the Stranger Kids things in Death Stranding. It's going to happen. Come on. It's going to happen. We're going <laughs> to... going to be a playable character. <laughs> well, um, one of the theories is that, uh, you know, Norman Reedus... Uh, similar to how you know, I, oh, actually, better be careful. Um, who has and hasn't played Bioshock Infinite here? I have. And you have Steve too as well. Yep. Then we're good to go. So, oh, and yeah, spoiler alert for uh, Bioshock Infinite. You had a couple years to play it. Um, in the end, you discover this multiverse kind of thing. Of there's always a lighthouse. There's always a you know all that stuff. Um, I actually think that one of the things we could be doing is all of us play Norman and that's one of the things in the intro quotes of the show and that one of the regularly cited lines from the interviews that have been had for yes. is that we'll, they'll be you. It's like, no, they won't play you, they'll be you. And what that makes me think is that obviously we can't all literally transmogrify into Norman Reedus, that's impossible. But one thing that I think that may be covered by when he's being that cryptic is like a person isn't just one person a person is a variety like a person is a universe in my opinion like we are a universe of potential we're a universe of feelings of emotions of fears of thoughts with these um giant swirling kind of vortexes of being right um and i think that what he means by that is like everyone who's playing death stranding will add up to be the universe that is norman reedus you know and yeah yeah i think that that me and and what i was saying in connection to like the will Byers actor i can't remember his name we may end up playing uh, him at different ages we may end up playing his essence or like his non-corporeal spirit we could be doing all kinds of things and um and you're right about how like you know what the basic of the the, the basic premise of stranger things is like a uh, an alien movie it's like hunted by a creature you know mm -hmm. yeah that's basically it but imagery wise with the the like the the dimensions happening at the same time of the upside down you know we even have some imagery in the second trailer of the upside down rainbow you know um that kind of makes me think that there could be a a realm of death as his one i think young went into that one you guys keep in touch you guys keep up with young right with his um some of his videos that he's made yeah the realm of death theory i think is my is very interesting to me that like he's uh, whoever the protagonist is, you know, I mean, sorry, Norman is uh, experiencing um, death that hasn't died yet, or death that hasn't been, un you know, sort of um, the dual meaning of stranding. Which stranding, the word strand means to abandon, and it also means to connect as and strand something together. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I have a, this. This is a perfect segue for the theory that I've been kind of holding onto for a really long time, and I haven't really seen this being approached on Reddit yet. Oh yeah, go. Um, or on, on any YouTube channel, uh, at least I, I could be wrong just because I haven't spent a lot of time uh, looking for this info, yep. just because I kind of have my go-to places, but uh, what I've been thinking about that, especially when Norman Reedus is like, oh, they'll be playing me, um, it's also tied into the whole multiverse kind of situation that we're being hinted at in the sense that 
it just a, well, let me just start with this. If it's starting, just to tie it in with the whole death mechanic, the way I'm kind of imagining it is this idea that um, with the multiverse, you're con the, connect the connecting part is that let's say one Norman Reedus dies, another one will take its place from a different dimension if they seek to, if they want to. So in that sense, there is an infinite amount of universes all on the same timeline. So within, the, everything is canon is what I'm really trying to say. That every single player is Norman Reedus, but is experiencing something totally different or similar, just at a different uh, at a different pace, if that makes sense. And if one of them dies, they can relive the same thing or relive a derivative of what they originally had in a different place, but even though it's still the same. And not to take it a little bit off tangent here, but it's just uh, yeah, have you ever watched Rick and Morty? Yeah. <laughs> we literally so that at if the same you, time. Yeah. So yeah, so think of it kind of like that. That there's there's an infinite amount of realities and. I think that's, you know, that's just what my theory is, that there's an infinite amount of, rea amount of realities, and then there's these seven, I guess, for the lack of a better way of saying this, seven supernormans who are just kind of overseeing everything, like the Council of Ricks, if you will. <laughs> what, do you uh, of, what do you think of that, Steve? You've seen Rick and Morty, right? Yep. Oh, my God. No, I, I, I just hope they do something interesting with, like, what you guys are mentioning, but... Uh, I, I was actually remembering uh, the first Bioshock, where uh, every, every time you die in that game, you wake up like in a capsule. So the first oh, time yeah. I played that game, I remember I was thinking like, am I playing as a different person? It, it wasn't just, okay, this is a game and you come back to life. It was something different, so it was something interesting. That I hope they do something like that in, in the surrounding, something uh, bizarre, strange. Bizarre is one of my favorite words to think about with what I want to see in this. I want to see... Do you guys remember, let's just let's just like put this out there, when the President of the United States grabbed you by the crotch? I don't want this specifically, but I love how fucking bizarre that was. <laughs> oh, yeah, just like, how, how fun was that to wake up to that, right? Like, it's just like, come on, is this real? Just this isn't scary. real. And then it was, and you're just like, what do I do with myself? Yeah, I want scissors, 61, you know, like, Harry Carry, you know, like, all that stuff in Metal Gear Arsenal, like... Yeah. I, 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 bizarre is. I was, I was also, uh, I, I was also remembering this game, this PS4 uh, online game called Let It Die. I don't know if you guys have played. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, this game, uh, you die and then you come back to life, but you have to fight your dead body, who's as strong as you are. It's something really weird, but it's awesome. I, I love that game. I played like 300 hours of that game. That's wow. <laughs> So yeah, good. and uh, it's, it's it's that game is actually very bizarre. This is <laughs> my play this. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, uh, no, that game is. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was awesome, and uh, I'm still playing it. But uh, yeah, it did something weird with death, and you uh, you also you have to fight against other people's dead characters. Fantastic. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of original, though. yeah. Yeah, it makes me yeah, think. I think that, I think we're seeing a feed there with the whole death mechanic, just because there's so many games now that, you know, after having this conversation, we're starting to see there's a handful of games that play with the death mechanic, you know, outside of Dark Souls. Well, you know what, I th it makes me think, um, just, I, I suddenly, sometimes just when we're connecting subject matter, this will happen, like, tangentially, I'll just 
be some some certain imagery will evoke like we talk about death um death is tied into the word depths which is like the depths of the ocean right mm -hmm. and um there's a there's a pressure there's a sort of um a primordial fear of both uh there's a pr primordial fear but we're also drawn to it because in, in essence it's where vertebrates came from you know walking out of the ocean and everything as that kind of theory of evolution goes um that with all the marine imagery with all the kind of uh the strand literally the stranding of all these marine creatures like whales and dolphins and stuff in in, the, in both trailers and i and i think about is that one of the two one of the few things that connects the two trailers because if you think about it the two trailers they're linked by two things the umbilical cord um and the obviously the the, um, the the handcuffs and you know we all we all know about that mic drop moment of when you sync up bo both trailers one baby appears the other baby disappears that stuff and mm -hmm. and then the uh yeah. the, the animals so i know we were obviously just uh, discussing like just death mechanics but i wonder if something Again, this this method, again, I'm just having realizations as I speak, sort of stream of consciousness style. But in the intro um, video of the Kojima kind of logo trailer, we see we see that it's initially underwater. You know, we see that whale uh, it, it, with Ludens when he puts his uh, flag. You know, and he kind of claims that place as his own and says, you know, this space that is between outer space and the depths of the ocean. This is now where I'm telling my story. You know, so yeah. Uh, instantly i just thought of possibly a, a station and installation deep underwater where some shit goes wrong and he gets caught in outer space with a bunch of whales <laughs> who knows <laughs> that reminds me of the yeah, Go 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 think for whales, yeah. yeah you know that you guys know the band gojira yeah yeah exactly so they, yeah. they, they have an obsession with flying whales as well so see and, and it's interesting because after watching the trailers and uh you know going through all that and definitely the clear uh influences of moby dick uh you know even hinting back at the moby dick studios thing back with the phantom pain uh i went back to reread uh moby dick by herman melville uh and i actually read i read it twice since then and i remember reading it in high school and just being like wow this is a pretty great story but it's kind of long-winded um and i started to realize a couple of similarities in not only kojima's work but just in how you know possibly in how he's planning um some of these themes and you know in things to come just just because there's not only that human element you, you when i was reading moby dick i, I start develop you, you start to develop a connection to all these characters to, to captain ahab and to, uh, to, to everyone on the crew on a very small level and you just like you, you start to hear their voices in your head a little bit and and just because captain ahab is you know he's a nut job he is he's crazy but you still you still love him because he's not only your captain, but you know he set out to this soul because he's been he's been wronged by this greater being, and that's where it ties into a lot, a lot of cosmic horror because this whale doesn't care. Like we're insignificant to this whale, but Captain Ahab's obsession obviously overcomes him. So I think that he's using it as imagery in the sense that you know two of these whales were insignificant, but he's trying to surpass that in this new stuff. Like maybe maybe there is a way to overcome some of these cosmic horrors, kind of like how Bloodborne did, in the sense that you become an old one in the proper ending. That's true, yeah, and um, like tying into the whole theme of uh, the depths of uh, of the ocean being a place where you know a lot of what we're a lot of there's a lot of parallels between like um, outer space kind of. Uh, 
um, in terms of what it holds for us in terms of that fear and also fascination. Yeah, we're we're both fearful and fascinated. And I think you know Lovecraft. It was it was um, it was well established that he was very much a xenophobe, and the shape that his kind of the, the face that he gave um, his kind of cosmic horrors are all things from the ocean. Like it was the the, the tentacles, you know. Of and, yeah, and he was a, a extreme germophobe as well, and and germs. Their kind of main dwelling is in like bodies of, you know, he was he was he was. Feel, I think he. I don't know if he had like bad dehydration because he was afraid that there would be bacteria in the water. Like, um, I, I remember. Probably. Yeah, like he was extreme, extreme, uh, extremophile in that way. I actually yeah. really. You guys know what a little tangent. You know what extremophiles are, right? They're, no. Uh, they're creatures that are. They're the only creature that can survive. Um, the like in, the, in the vacuum, right? The, yeah. In the vacuum. Exactly. So um, I'm also prepared for, with all the themes of like creatures that can survive at the deepest depths. Um, I, I actually keep my, I keep the door, the speculation door wide open for seeing actual creatures because we haven't seen that. We've seen uh, strange shaped machines, obviously in the Metal Gear, but it's very much like tied to the world, you know, tied to yeah. planet, to planet Earth, and uh, I could see uh, a lot. Uh, things get a lot crazier with um, with the kind of creatures we might encounter. I don't think he's going to keep it too earthborn, even though most of the imagery from the first two trailers have been, um, uh, you know, mostly kind of connected to the earth. But all right, well, you know what? We are at minute uh, one hour and thirty, guys. So wow. I want to check. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we may be kind of done for this first episode in terms of something where we're establishing the tone, uh, kind of uh, developing a rapport and kind of figuring out each other's kind of rhythms and patterns with what each and the other is uh, interested in and, and um, kind of able to speak to. I think you're both incredibly like like uh, like very well read and very well uh, researched. Uh, and I, I haven't found the need even to almost look at any of these show notes because we're kind of flowing so naturally, which is great. So, um, but I thinking we might jump into some of the stuff. I, I, this might sort of go into the tailing off into the end of the show, which is um, next week. Thinking of uh, uh, just discussing a couple more of his influences. I, I think um, I was looking at Jodorowsky a lot, but he's actually named Tarkovsky as one of his, his main influences as well. That if oh, you look yeah. at, I'm actually going to bring it up right now. The Wikipedia article of Tarkovsky uh, and. He, like the way he's been spoken about could easily be the way that Kojima was spoken about, which is crazy. So one second, I'll just mm-hmm. look it up. Um, so Tarkov, have you guys ever seen any Tarkovsky films? I saw a few when I was in high school. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, I've seen three of his films, and I actually think um, probably my favorite film of his, uh, Stalker. Stalker. Uh, maybe had a, an influence on that writing. So. I've also seen Solaris and uh, and the Sacrifice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, you're going to be our. Uh, we've we've just discovered it. You're our Tarkovsky guy. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I've only seen three of his films. Do you understand? Like you've basically seen his entire filmography. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, okay, so uh, get ready. I'm so. You, am I reading either from Andre? Obviously, I've prefaced it, so I've spoiled it. But I literally could be reading from both. Andrei Tarkovsky's and Hideo Kojima series. His work is characterized by long Tate's unconventional dramatic structure, distinctly authored use of cinematography, and spiritual and metaphysical themes. Tarkovsky's work 
Yes. Hideo's work are regularly listed as among the greatest films slash games of all time. His contribution to cinema slash games was so influential that works done in a similar way are described as Tarkovskian, which is Kojima-esque, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Ingrar Bergman says Tarkovsky is for me, and again, Kojima is for me the greatest director, one who invented a new language, true to the nature of film slash games, as, is cap- as it captures life as a reflection, life as a dream. Okay. So yes. that literally kind of does a nice little, ties a little beautiful bow on what we've each been talking about. We each kind of flowed naturally into discussing how his works reflect the real life, reflect like real life and reflect real world themes. And uh, that is, uh, that's pretty much our first episode, guys. So, wow. Pretty cool. Yeah, that was nice. Amazing. So, uh, Amazing. yeah, um, <laughs> what, what, I, I may as well, like, just to give it the structure, I'll just like... T- um, uh, do the little coda kind of thing. I'm thinking of having some coda music down the line. But um, social media, we have uh, Twitter is Death Strand Pod. Okay, so pretty easy to remember. Even though you can't just fit the whole word Death Strand podcast, it wasn't possible. But um, that's fine. On Facebook, it's uh, Facebook.com/forward/slash Interactive Artistry, um, which is the kind of parent kind of group of uh, if you want to think of the Stranding podcast as like one of one of the shows that this uh, channel, kind of parent channel, might do because interactive artistry describes very much what uh, Death Stranding and Hideo Kojima is about. Um, for the YouTube channel where the episodes will be loaded, it's youtube.com forward slash Tweedy Gamer, as in T-W-E-D-Y-G-A-M-E-R. That's the old name. I'm looking at getting that fixed uh, and um, into something either, you know, Death Stranding podcast or interactive artistry, something easier because that's just the old branding of the channel I was doing. Um, where can the audience reach you guys if you that's your thing and you wanted to be kind of uh, contacted well I'll definitely open up reopen up my Twitter account I had one before when I used to be a uh, radio show host (laughs) so I I used to do a whole rebranding of everything so uh, I guess we'll just uh, put a pin on that for now put a pin for you and what about you Steve Uh, I'm I'm not allowed to use social media so (laughs) I'm just, I'm just here to talk about the stranding. That makes me very happy, and like it was, it was going to have to happen eventually, you know, to, to figure out who wanted to do what. But in the in the meantime, if you um, like uh, enjoyed either Steve or Eddie's um, kind of uh, some of the subjects they brought up and sort of what they kind of expressed, and you had questions for them specifically, feel free to send them through to me. Uh, there should be um, I'm going to post this uh, in the description of the video links to the Instagram where I'll be able to read your messages, links to the Twitter where you'll have access, I think, to instant messaging, which is a facet of Twitter. So, um, But yeah, without further ado, guys, um, take care yourselves and to the audience, uh, obviously take care, everyone. And uh, remember, the game has already begun.